Galatians. A lot has been written about Paul's early letter to the church. And this letter comes following his first missionary journey. And I'm going to summarize its importance this way. This letter is written to encourage, this letter is written to help the church to not lose sight of its source of salvation. In the last several months, we started with Acts chapter 1, and we began to read the origins of the early church. We saw Paul, Saul's <laughs> called ministry, and we saw Peter having to deal with his understanding of, of who the church would be past the nation of Israel to the Gentiles, and we, we saw the origins of the early church, and, and we've drawn, we've hit pause on Acts because we've come to the what is the end of the first missionary journey of Paul. And, and so it's appropriate that we see what has the Lord been communicating to Paul to communicate to God's people in that day, but in the days beyond, in 2022 and beyond. This, this letter to the Galatians Again, one of the first letters, some scholars say, written after the first missionary journey. What does it mean and why does it matter? And this is written to help the church to not lose sight of its source of salvation. In the introduction of the letter, in the introduction, Paul, he introduces himself and the brothers in the faith whom he's discipling in, in a piece of mail. An introduction says a lot of things. A lot of things. Uh, whether the, the, the mail be letters you pulled out of the mailbox or the post office box yesterday, whether it be letters or bills, or here's, here's a good one, a letter of the explanation of benefits regarding insurance to a recent doctor's visit. Right? I mean, the EOB, when you scratch your head and say, well, I don't remember what this is for. I don't remember which kid went to the doctor when, for what. And we look to see the whom and the what and the, and the why of, of the piece of mail. We'll see in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 1, we see the same thing. And one sentence says a great deal. I, I told my wife this morning, it could have been very easy to, to preach this morning on two verses. Because there's a lot here. Obviously, we're going to verse 10 through verse 10 of chapter 1 of Galatians, but, but a, a one sentence says a great deal. Paul begins the introduction. He says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. And, and for those who, who may not remember how, how Paul has ended up writing this letter. He, he was formerly known as Saul, and he was part of a group that hated the church. Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was present at the murder of Stephen, the, the church's first deacon, and also the church's first martyr, the one who would die for the faith. 
Saul was present, and if you, you may remember in Acts chapter 9, Saul is breathing threats and, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he's heading toward this town named Damascus, and he's looking for any belonging to this religious movement called the Way, followers of Jesus. He's going to track them down, and suddenly a light from heaven flashes around Saul, and Saul falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And the voice replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Jesus wastes no time. He says, get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Saul is brought into Damascus, and at the same time, there's a disciple there named Ananias, and the Lord tells him where to find Saul, and and he tells Ananias, the Lord says that Saul is seen in this vision, that Ananias would come and lay hands on him, and Saul's vision would be restored. Well, Ananias answers and says, well, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. You see, Saul's reputation has preceded him. And the Lord says to Ananias, this is Acts chapter 9. Yes, we're in Galatians 1, but in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord says the following. Tells Ananias, he says, Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name, before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. The man who would be known as Paul has not been sent by man, has he? Paul, this apostle, sent not by men, but through Jesus and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead is a chosen instrument of the Lord's to bear witness to Jesus. And and it says, before Israel and kings and Gentiles, every slice of life to all people. Everyone will hear this message. And what else did the Lord say? And we're talking about Saul, and he will suffer. I've just quoted Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, and I want you to write that down. Why? Well, I want to take a pause, and I want to remind us of a reality which touches every one of us. God's chosen, God's people, the dear saints of the church throughout history will suffer. God's people will suffer. Why do I point this out? I'm asked this question frequently. As a pastor, as a preacher, I'm asked this on a consistent basis. Why? Why? And as a pastor and as a preacher... I myself have asked the Lord this same question, why? 
and lots of situations, lots of scenarios. And in the silence of trying to grapple and grasp for an answer, I can tell you two words. A two-word response, why? Jesus suffered. And Jesus himself said we would endure similar trials. There's an American theologian named Joseph Schumann, and he says the following about suffering. One of the counterintuitive truths, one of those things which goes against what we think about suffering is that it prepares Christians for more glory. Paul would write in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he would say, this light momentary affliction, which sure doesn't feel like it, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we, amen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and, and the things that are unseen, they're eternal. And Schumann goes on to say, these verses are like sandpaper to our modern sentiments about suffering. They go against the grain of what the world would tell us about suffering. We naturally try to avoid suffering at all costs, don't we? Schumann says, but God brings suffering in our lives for the sake of our eternal joy, yes, even glory. Acts 9, the Lord directs Ananias, and Ananias finds Saul, and Ananias lays hands on Saul and, and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus has appeared to Saul. And the Lord has told Ananias about what has happened. And, and so this morning in Galatians 1, we see that this designates Saul as an apostle. You see, there were naysayers even in those days, and some said, oh, you know, Saul can't be an apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. He saw Jesus. Paul is an apostle not sent from men like Ananias, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And as we've just seen, Saul, now known as Paul, is an apostle. He's witnessed Jesus. Paul is not sent from men. He's not been dispatched by some organization. Paul is called through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father, whom God raised from the dead. Mm. And by Jesus being raised from the dead, it is in that very reality which gives us hope for the resurrection and hope for today. In this one verse, I see I told you the whole sermon in this verse. In this one verse, Paul tells the church his identity and the identity of whom he represents, who sent him, the Lord, and who didn't. <laughs> Ananias, no one else sent Saul. 
Well, after this introduction, Paul begins the letter with the greeting. He says, To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Paul extends this greeting to these churches in Galatia to whom this letter is addressed, and he says, Grace and peace. And about grace and peace, there's a writer named McGorman, and he says the following. He says, The word translated grace denotes the unmerited favor of God towards sinful men. It's undeserved favor. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives us this undeserved grace because He loves us. And this is the basis for the writing of man's relationship toward God. McGorman, I love how he says it. He says, No word lies closer to the heart of the Christian gospel than grace. It's a divine gift rather than human achievement. And and what a gift! Grace issues in peace. See, there's the relationship between grace and peace. Grace issues in peace. In the lives of those who experience its reality. Grace and peace from Jesus. Jesus who gave himself for our sins. Why? So that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Jesus, our rescue from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. God's will is to to rescue all who would cry for rescue through His Son. And when Paul wrote this letter, he identified the days in which he lived as evil. The more things change, the more things remain the same, don't they? As we've witnessed in these recent weeks here on our soil. Sin has stained every level of creation. When sin entered into human existence with the disobedience of Adam and Eve, it it didn't take long for sin to permeate relationship. Look at Cain and Abel. Creation's first murderer and murder victim. It's not about the weapon, it's about the heart. Rampant lawlessness until the present day. A heart problem. However, thanks be to God the Father for Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. By dying for us, Jesus becomes the rescue for us if we've confessed our sins and our need for Him. Jesus rescues us from the stain and the strain of sin, both the stain and both the strain of sin in this present evil age, according to the will, the desire, and the plan of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forevermore. The Son of God and His Father deserve every ounce of glory we can muster. Why? Because of all that they've done. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Paul writes. That word amen means truly. We get to verse 6 and Paul begins to get down to business of the letter. 
I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And herein lies the reason for the letter to the Galatians. There are those who distort the gospel of Jesus. And look what Paul writes. There are those who want to distort the gospel. And and that makes up the content of this letter. Paul then gives a warning to these churches. He says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. (laughs) Wow! And then he says it again, verse 9, As we've said before, now even I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Be it us, preachers like myself, be it heavenly messengers such as angels from heaven, If there is distortion to the gospel of salvation, that messenger is to be cursed. Paul is pointing back to a concept we see in the Old Testament that there were those things which were set aside and named for destruction. Like in Joshua chapter 7. There were things that were deemed so full of sin that for them to be destroyed, those things to be destroyed, it was an offering to God. That's where Paul's going. It's pretty serious wording. (laughs) I told our first hour, everyone probably remembers growing up playing on the school playground, and invariably there's going to be a a dust up on the playground, there's going to be words exchanged, and there's going to be a squaring off, and somebody's going to draw a line in the sand on the playground. They're on the ball field or the sandbox. Somebody's going to draw a line and say, I dare you to cross it. That's what Paul's doing. Why do we need an entire letter dedicated to clarifying what the gospel says? I'll tell you why. A couple of reasons. I think there are times that God's word intimidates us. We don't understand all in full. We were not meant to on this side of life. We don't understand it all, and so if we're not certain what parts of it, what parts say, We'll dismiss those difficulties. We'll dismiss them. And I confess, as I read this letter, as I've read it and read it and reread it in preparation to preach it, there are parts which are real head scratchers. How do I understand this? How do I preach this? Why do I preach it? If it's so difficult, why? Well, to that question, Paul gives us the answer. Paul gives us the answer. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is in an area named Miletus, and he's preparing to go to Jerusalem. And Paul is saying farewell 
to the believers there, and he says the following to the elders of the church in that region. And he says this. He says, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies, saying that chains and affliction await me. And then he says, Behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. You're never going to see me again on this side of life. That's heavy stuff for a goodbye. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. The, God, the whole God-breathed word. The whole book. We preachers are to preach the whole book, the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. And we listeners are to digest it. We're, we're to hear it in full and we're to know it. Why? Well, there are those, as we've seen in other New Testament letters, that there are those who will enter the body with a spirit of malicious intent, will come in and misrepresent the Lord and what He says. We have talking heads all over the media telling us what Scripture does and doesn't say, and they've never read it. Telling Christians what Christians should endorse and engage, and, and they've never seen God's Word. What Christians should believe. And here's the problem for the church. We don't know the difference <laughs> because we haven't digested this. We're told to discern. And if we don't know His Word, we will not be able to discern the truth from slight variations. You see, over time, as our eyes blur to these ever so slight variations, our eyes become desensitized to claims that the gospel makes. And another reason we need clarification, because in our well-meaning, well-reasoned, noble way, in our desire to, to live and, and let live, we become afraid to defend what we believe. How would Paul respond to that? Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Remember, who called Paul? Man or God? We're not trying to be bullish. We're not trying to be obnoxious or whatever. It's simply at the end of the day a matter of whose opinion matters more. Whose opinion of me 
will frame my eternity? Whose opinion of you will frame your eternity? Man's opinion or God's opinion? 